All right, guys, thank you so much. What a blessing. Thank you, choir. Thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. And so uh, it's been great, been great. Now we're going to open God's Word. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians, a familiar passage, chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. I'm going to share this morning a sermon of entitled Waiting and Watching for Our Final Victory. Waiting and watching for our final victory. I spoke to Terry uh, about what I was going to be preaching on, and I said, I'm going to be preaching about the rapture, and I plan on preaching that Sunday unless he comes before then. And so uh, we don't know when he's going to come, but I'm excited that it could be any time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. As I share with you, waiting and watching for our final victory. If you would, out of honor and respect for God's word, his infallible word, inerrant word, please stand as we read these few verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen Asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who, alive, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to worship you and God to praise you and now to hear your word. Help us to realize, Lord, the word of God is a message to us, spoken from you to us. And Lord, it's powerful, it's sharp, it's a two-edged sword. And Lord, it speaks to our hearts. It will not return void. Whatever you share with us will not return void. Father, but it'll do the work in our hearts that you intend for it to do. Thank you for our time together this morning. Now, give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18. And we're going to look at some more passages and in just a few minutes. Thank you. There seems to be something going on in our world that's kindly bothersome. We live, if you're taking notes, we live in a troubled world. A troubled world. Violence around our world, in our schools, cities. Violence even in our homes. And it seems to be increasing. And no one seems to be able to stop it. Diseases are sweeping the world. Seems to be no way to cure them. There's usually a new pandemic every seven years. 
I read recently, a couple of weeks ago, that the next expected pandemic will be in 2028. The world's economies seem to be moving, or seems to be shakier as they depend on each other. There's a serious moral decline also that's around us. It really seems that people don't know or people don't care about Christian values or Christian morals. There are more natural disasters now than anyone can remember. It's taken place in the past. More famines, more earthquakes, more environmental disasters. And now, most recently, you have Russia attacking the sovereign nation of Ukraine. Therefore, our troubled world causes us to ask some very difficult questions. Could we be coming to the end of the world? Are we in the last days? Are we in the end times? Are we near the second coming of Christ? When will the rapture occur? Are there snatching away of the church? How could things get any worse? Luke chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. Listen to God's word. Then he said to them, Jesus speaking, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be, a great, there'll be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Now let me turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Therefore, when we read the description in Scripture, compare that to current events, we wonder, are we living in the last days? Are we living in the end times? So first, our days, our last days, the days that we live in now, cause us to wonder about what's happening. On your outline, if you have that, on your outline you'll have a quick review. I'm going to give you just a quick review of the end times. And this is going to be quick. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. He promised that he would return to earth to reward the righteous and to judge the unrighteous. And now before he returns, lawlessness will increase. 
Most people's love will grow cold, according to Matthew 24, 12. An evil dictator called the Antichrist will rise to power and lead a one-world government. His rule will create a time unprecedented with global disasters and persecutions on earth for seven years and be called the tribulation. And at the midpoint of these seven years, three and a half, the Antichrist will try to destroy the nation Israel and everyone who helps them. And the battle will culminate with the battle of Armageddon. And at that moment, Jesus will return his second coming, and he will destroy the Antichrist, and he'll begin to reign on earth for a thousand years called the millennial reign. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire, and God will initiate a new heaven, a new earth, and his people will be with him forever. And so first you have a troubled world that causes us to ask troubling questions. And then you have just a quick review of the end. But let me mention this thing about last days. I believe that we're living in the last days. The last days, I feel like, and after studying what others think, some scholars, they believe also that the last days began when Christ ascended into heaven. And they will continue until the day of the second coming of Jesus. Then we'll have end time events that'll take over. And so you have our troubled world causes us to ask tr troubled questions. A quick review of the end. I just mentioned in last days from Christ's ascension until he comes back at his second coming. But I want to share with you this morning, I hope you'll be able to see it, I want to share you the Old Testament timeline for which we're speaking of. The Old Testament timeline. Do we have that? There it is. The Old Testament. Now this is what the prophets saw. If you'll notice from Adam, from Adam all the way down to the cross, you have the flood, you have Babel, the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Moses, the law of David, you have Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and then you have the birth of Christ right in here, and then you have the crucifixion. And then the Old Testament prophets prophesied that we would have the ascension and we would have seven years of tribulation and then you'd have the second coming of Christ to come back and then you'll have the thousand year millennial reign of Christ and after that you'll have, you'll have the uh, eternity future. That was what the Old Testament prophets saw as they testified and as they prophesied. So our Old Testament timeline gives us the period from the creation of Adam through the millennial reign of Christ. But something's missing, something's missing on this end. Something's missing here. Something that they didn't see. You see what it is? Do you notice what it is? What's missing is the church age. It's the time that we're living in right now. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, 
That psalm prophesizes the crucifixion of Christ. It prophesizes his ascension. It prophesizes the tribulation and his second coming and how he sets up his kingdom. But the church age is never mentioned in Psalm 2. Neither is the church age mentioned in any of the prophets' prophecies. It's not mentioned in Daniel. It's not mentioned in Ezekiel. You know why? Because God kept the church age a secret. He kept it because it a mystery in the Bible. God keeps secrets until he chooses to reveal his secrets. And in the Old Testament, he never revealed that there were going to be a period of time after the crucifixion called the age of grace or the, the, um, uh, the church age. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter... 29, verse 29 is a good verse to go to from time to time. It says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of, the, of this law. And so God keeps some things to himself. He, he, he didn't reveal everything to the prophets. And one thing he kept from the prophets was the church age, the age of grace. They, they had no idea about the church age. Now let's look at the New Testament timeline and see the difference, the New Testament timeline. There you have Adam, and you have all the way down to the birth, right in here, didn't put that down, but then you have the crucifixion. Then all of a sudden, you have Paul's revelation of the mysteries known as the church age. And so that's the period we're in right now. We're in the age of grace. We're in the church age. Now the Bible teaches that um, Paul received these, these mysteries that God had kept to himself. A period of grace. The calling out of the body of Christ. You know, when God calls the body of Christ, he, he doesn't call a large group of people at one time. He calls individuals to be a part of the body. He called me. He, he's called you. And some of you, God's calling you now to accept him as Lord and Savior of your life where you can be a part of the body of Christ. So the point is, God has granted a period of grace for salvation for the Gentile race. For the Gentile race. God told Abraham, he said, I'm going, to make a, I'm going to make you a great nation. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of you. And so God wanted to use the nation Israel to kindly penetrate the nations of the world. And bring them to the knowledge, the other nations of the world. To bring them through Abraham, his nation, to bring the other nations of the world to the knowledge of Israel's God. That was the opportunity that Israel had. And so God sent the Messiah. But what did they do? They rejected the Messiah. They crucified the Messiah. So what did God do? Well, after the Jews rejected the Messiah, God, in Acts chapter 9, you have this turning point in God's dealing with the human race. God raised up a Jew. His name was Saul of Tarsus to become, you might say, the 13th disciple, the 13th apostle and sent him specifically to the Gentiles. <clears throat> Paul very seldom, he did a few times, preach to the Jew. 
he always preached to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 says this. Now the Lord told Ananias after Saul's conversion, said this, Go, for he is a chosen vessel, speaking of Saul. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before the kings, and before the children of Israel. So God laid his hand upon this, oh, this, this person by the name of Saul, later became known as Paul, and used him as the messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles. So today you and I are living in a period of grace. We've been living in a period of grace since Christ ascended. And so salvation is available to all today through grace, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be a part of the called out ones, if you want to be a part of the body of Christ, if you want to be a part of the church, if you want to be a part of the gathering that he's coming back for, you need today, without any hesitation, to be willing to humble your heart by faith, trust Jesus Christ, and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Brother Sammy, what's the gospel? Well, if you'll look at 1 Corinthians, now, good, good scripture to mark right here. 1 Corinthians, somebody says, what's the gospel? Now, you can't pollute the gospel. You can't add anything to the gospel. This is the gospel. And Paul, the, the, Gentile, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, says, here's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, verse 4. He was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel, that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus arose from the grave to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins. If you believe Jesus Christ came and died and rose again, if you believe the gospel from your heart, not just intellect, but from your heart, it changes your life when you give your life to Jesus, then you'll be saved. Now, we're living right now in this period of grace. And if you will believe the gospel, if you would confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 simply says, you have that scripture for him, Ashley, Romans 10, 9 and 10, I give you that. Yeah, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believes under righteousness. God's not concerned. Remember I said last week about what you believe in your mind, but it comes from your heart because your heart changes you. What you believe in your heart will change you. But if you'll believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, you'll be saved. Confessing that Jesus Christ is your Lord. So would you confess Christ as your Lord today? Acts chapter 4 
verse 12 says, nor is there salvation in any other name. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. No other name. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So listen, it's very important that you be saved today. You say, well, Brother Sammy, I have plenty of time. You may be a youth here today, and you may be in your teenage years, and you think, hey, man, I'm going to live till I'm 50 or 60. I've got a long time to be saved. You may be here, and you may be a senior adult, and you'll say, well, I've, I've lived this way all my life. There's no use changing anything now. Really? It's important that you be saved today. You say, well, I've got plenty of time. No, one day, the timeline, this period of grace is going to end with what the Bible calls the rapture. Now, the Bible do not use the word rapture. It's inferred. But it uses the word called up, which is uh, kind of a more, um, you might say, a more potent word, called up. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, let's look at that rapture just for a moment before we close. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. You have the rapture must happen before the second coming. Remember the timeline? Before the second coming, we're called up. There's the rapture. We're taken out of here. The next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture, the catching up, the calling away, the gathering of the called out ones, the church, the body of Christ. That's the next thing that's going to happen. There's no signs about when it's going to happen. Now, there's several signs about uh, the second coming, and we're kind of sensing some of those signs now, wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and disease and pestilences and all of these things. We're kind of getting a little of that, a little, little wave of that, trickle of that now, something that's coming more in the future. But the rapture, there's no signs leading up to the rapture. It could happen any moment. It's that snatching away, it's that gathering, it's that calling up of the body of Christ from the earth. Now notice, it occurs in that timeline, right before a seven-year period of what's known as the tribulation. Right before that tribulation, we're out of here. We're out of here. Before all of that evil breaks loose on the earth, God calls his church out of here. Can you imagine the billions of people suddenly disappearing on earth? That's what's going to happen. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ, those who have trusted in themselves and other things to go to heaven when they die, they're not going to heaven. They've missed the way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except by me. If you miss Christ, you miss heaven. Think of the rapture as a kind of an evacuation from this so evil place. Think of it as an evacuation from evil that God has planned for the believers before the tribulation. I watch TV this week. Every time you turn it on, you know, you know what's on. And I was watching TV this week and I saw the long lines of vehicles and people walking and trying to evacuate Ukraine, trying to escape the coming pain and the coming devastation and the coming hopelessness and the coming helplessness and the coming 
death to so many. And I thought of the millions and millions and millions, the untold number of people who are lost without Jesus Christ. Unless they turn to the Lord by faith and trust his provision for salvation, his only begotten son, they will suffer beyond comprehension after he carries the church to heaven. Friend, listen, the rapture is on the horizon. It's on the horizon. First of all, if you're taking notes, I think this will be on your outline. Christ will descend from heaven. Verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself, no angel, no one to represent him, but the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice, he will appear to his followers. He will appear to his followers, Christians. He will appear in the air. He won't set his feet on the ground, but he'll appear in the air. Only Christians are going to see Jesus. Do you know that? At the rapture, everybody's not going to see Jesus. Only believers will see Jesus in the, in the sky, and they'll instantly go to him. It'll be quiet. It'll be real quiet. He just calls us up, and we'll see him. We'll hear everything we need to hear. No one else will. His feet will never touch the earth, and Jesus will begin to extract his people from the earth before he judges the earth. Can he do that, Brother Samuel? Well, he, he extracted Noah before he judged the earth with a flood. He extracted uh, uh he extracted Lot before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, he can extract us from the earth. So Christ will descend from heaven right above the earth. Secondly, the dead in Christ will be raised, verse 16. The dead in Christ will be raised. Our bodies, you know, when we die, our bodies will be laid to rest. That's what it's called. We'll be laid to rest. Bodies will, but our spirit goes to be with the Lord as a believer. Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when the trumpet of God sounds, verse 16, the, great, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Imagine that. The dead believers who have died since the ascension of Christ. That's important. The church age. The rapture, the snatching away, the calling away, the gathering is an event for the church. From the time Christ ascended, the believers who have died, other believers in God will be raised later. The Old Testament saints will be raised later. But those in the church age will be raised at the rapture. And then the, the rapture, make a note, is an event for the church. And then third, all believers who are alive will be caught up. The dead will be caught up. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up. The point is there's going to be one generation... Psalm's going to be alive here. One generation that will not experience death. And then fourth, there'll be a glorious reunion. Verse 17, look at that. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So dead bodies are going to be reunited with their souls. The resurrected bodies will be reunited with other believers. And then all believers who are here, alive then, 
will meet the Lord in the air. A reunion with souls, a reunion with fellow believers, and a reunion with the Lord. And so the question is this, are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready? If it, if it should be today, are you ready? It's going to happen before the second coming. It can happen any moment. But the question is, are you going, are you going to be part of that evacuation? You going to be a part of that? We can be. And the way you can be is by trusting Jesus Christ and nothing else. Better not be trusting in church membership. There's going to be a lot of Baptists left behind. Better not be trusting in your baptism. There's going to be a lot of baptized folks left behind. Trusting in that, not in Jesus. It's only him. You go to heaven by trusting Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's not of works. At least anyone should boast. You can't boast about nothing if you go to heaven with just Jesus. And you're saying, I'm putting all my eggs in one cart and I'm trusting him. And if Jesus don't get me to heaven, I'm not going to get to heaven. Is the church important? Yes, it is. Is baptism important? Yes, it is. But just, just that's not going to get you to heaven. I'm saved. I'm baptized because I'm saved. I serve because I'm saved. I attend church because I'm saved. I try to live a moral life, not to be saved, but because I'm saved. It's all because I've trusted Christ. And the other is just an outflow of Christ working in me, working on the outside of me. The Bible says that he's in you, working in you to bring about what his desire is for your life. It's not what you're doing, but it's what he's doing. But it's coming a day when he comes back. I was going to share something about Russia, but I'll just wait. I may do that uh, next Sunday. But Russia is going to be the chief leader that that nation will be, the chief leader that attacks Israel, that brings about Armageddon, referred to as Gog uh, in the book of Revelation. It's interesting. And so God's not through with Israel. He's sure not through with Russia, with, uh, Russia. and they have a terrible defeat, and so um, it's just going to be it's going to be terrible. I don't know your I don't know your spiritual relationship, but he's coming. Jesus is coming. The midnight cry it can happen at midnight. It can happen at high noon. He's coming. He's removing his people and only those that belong to him by trusting him and nothing else off the planet Earth. And then the hard time really becomes, really begins with that tribulation. Our invitation this morning is going to be played. Let this song speak to your heart. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, listen. I've been where you're sitting. If I've been lost and I've sat there and I've dreaded the invitation because the devil was working on me on one side and the Holy Spirit was working to me on the other. And, and I remember the day I just said, I can't take it anymore. I'm giving my heart and life to Jesus. And I got up and went to the front and said, Brother Scott, I want to be saved. And that's what you need to do if you're lost. Believe me, he's coming again for his church. And if you're here today and your life...